Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. As many of you know, we are in the book, not the book, uh, but speaking on the church of Ephesus have been discovering it, learning about it, learning what the Word of God has to say concerning this church, what comes from this church, who's all up in this church. Uh, so we've been all up in Ephesus in every, in every way. And that journey has led us to 2 Timothy today. Uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, 3. And we will be... Uh, reading from 14 through 17. That will be our focus passage for today. As you read, uh, I'll just give a little background and then we'll read the passage and talk about it if that's okay with everybody. That's what we're gonna do. So um, if you read 1 and 2 Timothy, you recognize that this is, we've said this before, this is a father in the faith speaking to a son in the faith to encourage him as he does the work of ministry and this ministry that he was called, called to by the Lord. And so what we see in uh, the book of First and Second Timothy is that there, while ministry is going strong, there seems to be those that arise in opposition against the very thing that God has called them to do. And if you ever wonder about, you know, whether that was just them, that's also with us today. When the Lord calls us to something, it's always met with opposition. There's always naysayers. There's always uh, people who will come against us. And maybe sometimes they just don't get where you're coming from. They don't understand where you're coming from. Uh, And there are those who do understand where you're coming from and stand diametrically opposed to you in every way. There are those who start the journey with you and those who then uh, leave you flat. I know that many of us in this life, we have, we've recognized that we started in this, in this life with family. We've started in the life of faith with certain people. And along the way, for whatever reason or another, those people kind of fizzle out and, and you're left with like, oh, what relationships do I have? What, what is remaining? Uh, and so it, experience like that lead us to discouragement. And so what I see in Timothy, Second Timothy, is that he's having this sort of experience of, you, Paul, you sent me here, you left me here so that we could establish leaders, so that we could teach and, uh, and press in and do the things, the work of the ministry to mature people. And there are people who are arising against me and those who are with me have wandered off and left and really are slandering me. And so w- the question that I like to ask is what do you do? What do you do when, when you've had shared experience with some uh, and those that you had shared experience with have lost the ability to restrain themselves. They have lost the ability to care about their fellow man. They have traded wisdom for folly. They have ceased to acknowledge and love God. What do you do in a circumstance like that? Well, what I see Paul doing is, uh, is I believe, what we need. 
In a situation like that, what you and I hope for or want is we hope for a friend, we hope for a mentor, we hope for a father or mother in the faith to encourage us to stay the course. And that is exactly what Paul offers to Timothy. See, Timothy is not just a leader in the church, he's also a disciple of Jesus. And like any disciple of Jesus, we're susceptible to to the ups and downs of discipleship. Right? We, we have times where we have favor with man. We have times where we're uh, people, we don't have the opposite of favor with man. It's not having favor with man. We have those, the, those highs and those lows, those ins and those outs. We even have days where we're asking ourselves, is this worth it? Should I continue? I, am I the only disciple who's asked these questions? Like, should I really continue in this? Is this really worth following and pursuing? Right? I, all of us are, are together on this. We've had those moments. And what we need is a father or mother in the faith, a friend or um, a mentor that can lead us in the right direction to encourage us to stay the course. And that is what Paul does as we get to verse 14 of chapter 3. He says to Timothy, we'll read 13 through uh, 17. Lord, bless the reading of your word as we read it in Jesus' name. It says, I meant to say verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, what Timothy has in dealing with all these ups and downs of ministry or even ups and downs as a regular old disciple of Jesus, what he has in Paul is an example He has in Paul an example to follow. Uh, Timothy has been a witness, and not only that, he can attest that Paul has lived and and integrated his faith and enduring commitment to Jesus. We see that in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 11. I'll read this for you. It says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So he first has an example of someone who has integrated an enduring commitment to Jesus. The other thing he has is is that he, Timothy can attest to or has witnessed that Jesus has rescued Paul from all of these persecutions and hardships. So when you're in the in this scenario where, where you're questioning your discipleship, where you're questioning your relationships with those who have walked with you and seem to have abandoned you, what you need is to look back at those examples of enduring faith. Those who have committed themselves even to the point of, of enduring whatever hardship for the name of Christ. Those are the examples worth following. 
And if you're going to, I, I've heard this before here uh, and uh, among the circles that we, we go through. If you're going to learn anything about the church, learn or anything about your faith in Jesus, learn it from the missionaries. Look at those who have left everything and gone to foreign places, have endured hardships, have, have uh, willingly taken on these things. Why? For the sake of knowing Christ and making him known. Those are the examples that we ought to be looking to. And so Timothy can attest that, and every one of those examples that we look to, if you read faith biographies or autobiographies from the missionaries, missionaries, you see, look at those who have left everything and gone to foreign places, have endured hardships, have have, uh, willingly taken on these things. There have been moments where the Lord has done miraculous, has provided miraculously. There have been moments where God had done signs and wonders and healings in the lives of missionaries. Those are the examples that we should be looking for. And I really uh, think that, that their writings and their books are important for the life of the church. The other thing that Timothy has, so he has the example of Paul. The other thing that Timothy has is the sacred writings. The, the thing that Paul leads him to is not just, hey, you've learned from me, you've seen that I'm committed to Jesus, you've seen that I'm, I was willing to endure, you've seen that the Lord has rescued me out of hardship, but that's not where he ends that statement. He goes in verse 13, 14 and says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed that knowing has whom you've learned is it. the sacred writing. So what we see here in this the, passage the thing that I Paul believe leads him to is not just, hey, Timothy, you've seen that I'm committed to Jesus. You've seen that I'm willing to endure. I want to see that the Lord has rescued me out of hardship. But that's not where he ends that statement. He goes in verse 13, 14, and says, "When Paul references continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed in our Lord in chapter one, he uses what we see." A statement like sound words in chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 9, he uses the word of God. And then he encourages Timothy in chapter 2 to rightly handle the word of truth. So it's the word of truth. It's also called the truth. And he says of the Bible, of the word of God, he says that it is sacred writings or that it is scripture. As a believer in Christ, as you look at as the, the word of God unfolds, what, you, what we start to see is that there is uh, this idea of revelation. The Bible is God revealing himself, his desires, his purpose, his will. But we also see that he reveals himself in creation. The greatest example of, of either, uh, I, I believe, um, general revelation or, and special revelation in the word of God is Psalm 19. It begins with, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And then he goes on to talk about how wonderful and pleasant the word of the Lord is. So God reveals himself in creation, but he also reveals himself in a special way through the scriptures or through the words that he has spoken. And as you look, as you read become a student of the Bible, what you see is that there is the idea of God's spoken word. There has the, there's the idea of incarnated word, that is Jesus, and there's the, the truth of the written word of God. So you'll see these, 
These things unfold as you read the scriptures. What Paul is referencing here in 2 Timothy 3 is the writings, the written word of God, sanctioned by God. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord told the prophets, write these things down. The Lord told Moses, write these things down. The writing of the word is absolutely important to God. The word of God is truthful. Jesus says in John 17 when he prays for us, he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is truthful. Proverbs 13, 13 says that the word of God is flawless. Here in 2 Timothy 3, 16, we learn that all of God's word is God breathed, or what we understand as it was written under divine inspiration. That no word that was written down was written down simply by the will of man, but by the direction and inspiration of God. We believe that. We also, as we read in our call to worship, Hebrews 4.12, tells us that it is a living and active word. It does amazing things like dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And it does this wonderful thing that, that we all love. It judges the thoughts and intentions of your hearts. Don't you love that? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. And I think we all eventually come to the point where we're like, yeah, that was worth it. Thank you, Lord, for dividing that. Thank you, Lord, for calling that into question in my life. Because what you see is it changes the whole dynamics of your life. According to 2 Timothy 3.15, the Bible is able to make a person wise unto salvation. There's no knowledge or no understanding of your need for salvation if not for the Bible. And in 1 Peter chapter 1.25, it says that uh, the word of the Lord is eternal. Heaven and earth will fade away, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. So the written word of God is absolutely important. When Paul talks about sacred writings, when he talks about all scripture, what he's talking about is the written word. And aren't you grateful that God has sanctioned or uh, commissioned the writing of his word? I am, because it relieves me of a lot of doubt of whether God has spoken, of whether God exists, of whether Jesus has done anything for us or whether he existed. The word of God answers all of those questions. I think that the disciple of Jesus is, uh, learns from the, dis- the examples of others who have gone before them, but we also give our full attention to the written word of God. And there's nothing that we start to believe unless we see it written. There's nothing that we start to receive unless we see it there, plainly. This is our rule. This is our standard. This is by uh, the thing that we, by which we judge all things that come into our, before our eyes or in our ears. Whatever way messages are entering into your brain or into your heart, this word has to be the very filter by which it passes. And if it can't pass this filter, then it's not good for you. And it's not good for me. Amen? What Paul says to Timothy 
is to continue in what you have learned. So what is the benefit of the word for a disciple is the question that I want to ask right now. Paul says to Timothy, continue, that is to abide in, that is to not depart from. He says, continue in what you have learned. That is, uh, the word learn is the very word for disciple. Become a disciple of, a gaining knowledge about. He says, continue in what you have given your discipleship to. And have firmly believed that it is to become persuaded and be assured of. Scripture, I believe, Paul goes into this way because it's absolutely important for your and my uh, maturing. If we're going to mature as a disciple of Jesus, the word of God is essential to that. Its role in our lives, as we read later on in verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is the role. The purpose of the scripture in yours and my life is so that we might be complete, so that we might be equipped disciples for every good work. We need to be equipped and we need to be complete. I think... I don't know about you, but I can trace in my life a progression of attitudes that I had towards the Bible. At one point, I had the attitude of like, I'm ignorant of it. I have no idea what it is. It's uh, a mythical thing that's out here that people uh, put either, you know, depending on what tradition you grew up in, it's either opened on some sort of dresser in the house or put somewhere in a prominent place uh, so as to ward off any evil. I think that, uh, that, that was one of its uses. But I wasn't uh, acquainted with it. What you see in Timothy is that there is uh, an acquaintance with, there's a learning, and there's a believing so when, when Paul affirms him, he says, hey, keep going in what you have learned and believed uh, and remember who it came from, but this is something that began in your childhood. These sacred writings were things that you were acquainted with or that you saw in your life as a child. And so my, my progression with the word of God was that, uh, mythical like superstitious, ritualistic kind of thing that I had no interactions with that really didn't inform my life to the point where I heard a message about the gospel that was apparently in that Bible. So that got my attention because I realized, oh, there, there's a heaven, there's a hell, and if I don't believe in this Jesus, that's where I'm going, to hell, so I better get that fire insurance and let's do it, Right? And so no, no knowledge of it to, dang, I'm afraid, I'm going to follow it, right? I'm going to read it. And so everything about it was like still foreign, but I'm getting acquainted with it to the point where I begin to read it, study it, hear it preached. And so then I start feeling the burden of, this is the tradition, my, the way of uh, where I came. Uh, so mythical, scared of hell. Scared as hell, right? Uh, and then accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, hearing the teachings of it, feeling burdened by it because of the way it was taught, 
the rules, the do's and don'ts. I'm like, how the heck am I going to do any of this? Uh, that's a lot of do's and don'ts, Lord. And so then it, it came to a point where the Lord, uh, I started understanding the gospel more fully, the grace of the Lord and how he, it is him who works in me both to will and to act according to his good pleasure, that he is in partnership with me so that this word forms its life in me and through me. Right When I got to that point, like this word was no longer a burdensome thing, it now became, wow, this is how I can explore what life was meant to be like. So I went from the burden of do's and don'ts to exploring and discovering this is what life was meant to be like. And I think that your attitude to the scriptures determines how you interact with it. If it's a, do, a list of do's and don'ts, then you're going to be burdened by it. You're going to keep it in the peripheral. But if you are legitimately in pursuit of a better life inward, a better life upward, a better life outward, then this is where you need to go. This is where I found everything that I needed. Everywhere else I go, it's like, yeah. No. It's like, you know, the biggest piece of cheesecake that you eat, you're excited for. I love cheesecake, and I love particularly like dense, nice, good, cold cheesecake. And then you get to the cheesecake factory, and it's fluffy, and I'm like, this ain't my kind of cheesecake. I, I'm full of regrets after eating this. The only cheesecake that I found was worth my time is the tiramisu cheesecake at Cheesecake Factory. That is banging. Anyways, going back to the word. When you eat something that was like, eh, not really satisfying, yeah, I guess it filled calories and did something to me, but I, I really regret everything that I just shoved in my mouth. You ever feel that? Yeah. I think that, that your attitude towards the word of God is, is like that. You go to it, and you, if you have that kind of attitude, it just doesn't satisfy you. But when you go with it with a desire to discover who you're meant to be, that's, that changes everything. That leaves you open. I believe it leaves you open to sanctification, to be sanctified by the word of truth. And so I love what the word has to say about itself. If you're going to learn anything about the Bible, learn about its own testimony of itself, right? So what does it say about itself, or what does it say about our attitude, what our attitude too should be? If you start in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. When you have the mentality of this is something I, I can go to the Bible to discover who I'm meant to be, who, what relationship with God was meant to be, what relationship with others was meant to be. When you go to the Bible to explore how life was meant to be, it becomes a delight. It becomes a healing balm to you. Because you have a history of woundedness, of rubbing against people in the wrong way, and all of a sudden you learn what the right way is supposed to be like, and it becomes a healing thing to you. Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. How many of you ever had that attitude that this revives your soul? The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes making wise is simple. How many of you ever felt like you were wise beyond your years? 
Yeah, I've felt that way. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than they, uh, they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. How has your attitude towards the scriptures been? Has it been a delight? Has it been a reviving? Has it been a source of wisdom for you? Has it been a source of rejoicing for you? Has it been a source of enlightening for you? Has it pushed you to fear the Lord and respect him? Has it moved you to desire him before anything of this world, any gold or silver, and, and to taste him more than sweet, uh, sweet honey? Has it moved you? Have, has your attitude moved you in that way? Psalm 25, verse 4 through 5 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. When have you sat down and said, Lord, make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. And later on in verse 8 through 10 of Psalm 25 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his commandment and his testimonies. This is the attitude I believe that we should have towards the word of God should be a delight, should be something we run to, something we find refuge in, something we find protection in, something we find uh, a bolstering of our authority against the spiritual realm in. So I just wanted to highlight those things of what the scripture says about itself. The other thing that, so Paul leads Timothy in this way and says, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood, you've seen it. But not only have you seen it, you've learned it. Like you, you've taken this, this, this to heart. You've given yourself to understanding what it says. And then in understanding what it says, you are persuaded by it. You believe it. If we're going to pro- progress in our discipleship in Jesus Christ, we need interaction with the sacred writings. We need to learn them and we need to believe them. So Paul goes on and says, all scripture is breathed out by God so that you are not in any doubt the sacred writings are the inspiration of God, he says to Timothy. All of it. All of the, and this time it would have been the Old Testament. The Old Testament as is in our Bible. That is the accepted Old Testament in Jesus' time and in Paul's time and in Timothy's time. All scriptures breathe out by God. Later on, um, Timothy testifies of Paul's writing and equates it to scripture. So all of Paul's writings 
and all of the disciples' writings, the, the, the apostles' writings. Got it? And so all of these things, the writings, uh, we need to give our attention to it. And it's compiled right here uniquely in one book. Where at one time, each of these letters were dispersed and they would travel from place to place. They were all gathered and compiled. Thank you, Jesus. And now we have it in one place. Why? What do we do with this? How does it mature us? Well, Paul says to Timothy that all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable. It means it's valuable. It's something that, that holds weight and has worth. It's profitable what? What, is it, what does it accomplish in you um, when you use it for teaching? Well, like you and me, we all know that none of our lives are where they're at today without teaching. For every field, there is an entry level, uh, an ad- uh, advanced level, and an expert level, right? If you're going to be uh, a student, you can't get to the PhD without going through elementary, without going to middle school, without going to high school, without going to college, right? There's a progression and a succession. Why? Because teaching is an essential part of our development, And each stage has essential content to learn in order to succeed in the next stage, right? And I'm not saying that Christianity is like a level up thing. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like Super Mario where you progress. But but I guess it can be. Not in a way that makes you better than other people, but in a way that you're transformed and changed from when you began to the point where you're at today. If your life is the same today as it was the day that you confessed your faith to the Lord Jesus, then there's been a lapse in your discipleship. And you need to regain those years and start now. If you're going to be an apprentice, you got to start with apprenticeship, become a journeyman, become a master. If you're going to go into the military, you're a cadet, you become a soldier, then an officer, and on and on. If you're going to become a cook, you got to start as a prep cook. And then a sous chef, and then you can run your own kitchen and be a chef. So for each level, for each part of our development, there's teaching that is essential to get us to the next point. And so when we teach, what do we all, well, all we, <laughs> we need to learn the whole counsel of God. The question is, what should we learn, right? That's what I was trying to get out, but it wouldn't come out. What should we learn? We should learn everything that there is about God. We should learn everything that there is about his purpose. We should understand who he is and uh, what he wants to do. We should, you should understand who you are in relationship to him and his plan and his will. You should understand how you should interact with him with, uh, and with others. And the Bible does that. There's instruction for all of that. Amen? The other thing he says, so there's teaching where you sit under the basics, get the essential things, and you continue in that. Jesus, wherever he went, he turned things upside down, not by revolution, by teaching. He took the time to explain things or hide things. Even in his public proclamations, he hid things from others and revealed things to others. But teaching is an essential role uh, for you 
your discipleship, so who's teaching you? What teaching are you sitting under? Whose attention are you given to? Are they worthy of that attention? Are they worthy, uh, are they proven? Have they endured like Paul endured? Have they sacrificed a lot? Have they transformed and changed? Do they look like Jesus each and every way, as imperfect as we are? We should see glimpses of Jesus in those who teach us. So it's not just about the content, it's just as much about who it's coming from. The Bible is also useful for reproof, he says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, that is to convict us of sinfulness. I was set free by the reality that the Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. The Christian life is not a once repentance thing, but it's a lifetime of repentance. The difference with that is you, when you live a lifetime of repentance, you start keeping short accounts and you don't really worry about this one issue that you had or this one falling being the thing that ends it all with you and the Lord. You understand? You ever felt that, the weight of that? It's like, oh, dang, I just sinned in this way. I'm going to hell. Right? But when you recognize that God is gracious to you and leads you and is kind to you so that you repent of it, it's a lifetime of repentance. The difference between David and Saul was not that Saul was, or David was perfect, was that he lived a life of repentance before the Lord. Those of you who don't know who Saul is, he was the first king of Israel, did uh, atrocious things when it comes to the worship of God and really didn't repent about that. But David did. I mean, he murdered somebody, repented, and was still called a man after God's own heart. So if you didn't murder anyone, but you did something wrong, you're still good. Just repent and remain in that relationship with the Lord. Got it? But the word of God is useful for convicting us of it. John 16, 8 says, when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin. That is the spirit. So the spirit of God in conjunction with the word of the spirit does a work in you and in me to bring us to the point where we are convicted of the sins, of the things that we ought not be doing or that are not becoming of a disciple of Jesus. Amen? I appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit in that way because sometimes I'm blinded. And I cannot see clearly where I'm offending the Lord until the Holy Spirit is like, here's where you're doing that. Let's deal with this. And so we do. So the word of God, according to Paul in Romans 3.20, is that through the law, we become knowledgeable of our sin. You start to know what's right and what's wrong through the law. And it doesn't just leave us there. It leads us to repentance. The Holy Spirit is always going to lead us to repentance, confession and repentance before the Lord. So if you're thinking about this in a way of traveling, right, uh, let's say teaching would be like staircase where you're progressing and learning and getting up. Uh, reproof would be like you're, you're driving down the street. Uh, you have to go right but instead you choose to go left even though the sign says wrong way and you go that way. 
So to be reproved is to say, yo, this is sin. Stop what you're doing. And then Paul says it is useful for correction. So you know that, that, little, uh, that little turning lane to go back the way, that's what it is. So you start it going the wrong way, bank, you get the correction from the Lord or the re- rebuke, and then you are corrected in the way that you should go. To be corrected is to say that when it comes in contact with you, whatever is crooked is straightened. Whatever is crooked is straightened. That is what the word of God does for us. It's useful for correcting where our bents are. We had a bent towards sin. The Bible told us that, or reveals to us what is sin and shows us the solution for sin, Jesus, his death, his resurrection, right, and his Holy Spirit inside of us moving in us, and so then there's our course correction. Now we're moving in the right direction. The means by which you get straightened out, I've already mentioned two, confession and repentance. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, two Christians, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. And if you look at chapter two, it says the word of God is written or the message is written so that you might not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate in heaven. That is Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one. So your, your advocacy uh, is seated in the heavenly places, and he is re- ready and willing to advocate for you and for me. That is Jesus' part of his continual ministry for us. Amen? So we have confession, and we have repentance, Once you are aware of your sin, you change your mind about that attitude, you change your attitude, you change your mind, and you change your direction. You go the opposite way of where you were going. Repentance in the Bible is always a change of mind. Always a change of mind. When the good news came into a land, what Jesus was calling them to is change your mind about who the Messiah is. That's me. I'm the Messiah, Jesus said. I'm here. (laughs) So to repent is to change your mind. And the other thing, uh, another means by which we have course correction is to align ourselves to the truth and the standard by the help of the Holy Spirit. Notice it's God in you setting you up to succeed. You cannot have right relationship with God without Jesus. Why? Because right relationship with God requires Holy Spirit ministry inside of you. Requires that that heart transplant from a rock to a flesh. Requires an implanting in you of the word of God from external to internalizing. That is the work of the spirit in you and in me. We need that. And to walk in in obedience and to take the course correction is to align yourself by this power of the Holy Spirit to the truths and to the standards that God has set for us. All scriptures God breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That is a maturing 
towards God-approved living. No one is expecting anyone in this place to be perfect. But there, is, there should be a desire in you to mature so that you are in line with the word and desirous of becoming this mature believer in life. And what does maturity look like? Well, maturity looks like you living a God-approved life. And how do you know what a God-approved life is other than the scriptures? It brings us back to what life is supposed to be like. The Bible is not a mythical thing that you keep on a dresser. It's not something just to lead us into salvation so that we're scared out of hell and afraid of God. It's supposed to lead us to the place where we are in discovery and desirous of learning what life is supposed to be like according to the word. All scripture, all of it, is profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correcting, and for training up in righteousness. The Lord wants you and me to be fully equipped. That is to be ready now. To be ready now. Like you're ready now, <laughs> fully equipped. It would be equivalent to the National Guard, right? They're doing their citizenship work, doing their thing, but they are ready now. On a moment's call, they are ready now. And so to, to be a student of the word is to get to the place where you are ready now for what? Not only that you're ready now, but you are fully equipped. That is what equipping means. You're furnished you, you have what is necessary for you and me to do every good work. And according to the word of God, it's good work that God created in advance for you to do. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he created in advance for us to do. So, the mature, uh, the disciple gives in and, and wants, gives into the idea that we want that the Bible gives into the discovering of what life should be like in the scriptures, and the disciple of Jesus uh, takes everything that the Bible has to say um, and and uses it and lets it. Let, let's it teach you, let it develop you, let it correct you, let it reprove you, rebuke you, and let it train you up in righteousness so that you can do every good work. This is the role of the scriptures in our lives. But I believe that the attitude that we carry directly influences how we interact. So I want to pray towards that end. I want to ask the Lord to, to move in you with delight, to, to stir in you this, this idea of discovery versus being burdened by it. Because the commands of the Lord, according to 1 John chapter 5, are not burdensome. They're only burdensome if you are opposed to them. They're only burdensome if you are not walking in agreement with them. What did Jesus say to us? He said, learn from me, for I am humble and I am gentle. Take my yoke upon you, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus is like that. And I believe that as we give ourselves to the word of God by the 
power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ and the glory of the Father, uh, we too will be delighted by the word and we too will see uh, the benefits of it and let it unfold in your life. So let's pray in that way. Lord, we bless you and we thank you that you have not left us wondering. Wondering what your desires are, wondering who you are, wondering what our purpose is in life. You have not left us in that way. But I bless you for sanctioning the writing of the scriptures and for preserving it all of these years because the Lord, Lord you know and history shows that there were moves to diminish and to destroy the work of your word. There were burnings of your word, yet you preserved it for all of these years. And so we bless you, God, and we thank you that this is the word of the testimony, that this is trustworthy, that by these words, O oh Lord, we can know the way of eternal life. And by these words, we can know the, the, the abundant life that you offer to us, Lord. Uh, we want to love you. We want to love you, Lord, and we know that loving you is, oh, is synonymous with obedience to you and what you say. And so we ask for that help. We ask, O oh Lord, for a delight. Give us a delight of your word. Lord, one of the phrases you gave me a while back was, let's eat. And every morning, God, uh, for that season of life, you would remind me, let's eat. And so, Lord, I pray that your church would eat, that they would get up and eat and feast, that they would lie down eating and feasting, Lord, that they would do their life each day eating and feasting, Lord, on your word. Change the attitudes. <sighs> Release us from the burdens, Lord, and move us into this kind of grace the grace of your help. The grace of your bolstering. Thank you, Lord, for that. I recognize that the spirit of the age, Lord, is in opposition to your word because your word is truth and your word sets people free. And so, Lord, I ask, God, that wherever your word goes, wherever your truth is, that you would there set captives free. And so when your church gets alone with you and your word, I pray that freedom of oppression would come. And even now, begin to free us, Lord, so that we could delight and discover. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And may you see his face this week and delight in him, and as you look into his word, will you find it to be satisfying to you? Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.